Thank you for joining us today with Cindy Sherwood's podcast, Words for the Journey. One of my greatest joys is also one of my greatest sorrows. Being able to teach scripture and speak into the lives of people, showing them the true love and nature of God is a great trust and a privilege. I feel so fortunate for the job he's given me. At the same time, it comes with significant pain for me. Watching the struggle so many people have in understanding God's character is not easy. None of us likes to hear a discouraging word about someone we dearly love. Yet at the same time, if I don't, and we don't provide opportunities where people can be honest and air out their struggles, how can there ever be any hope of getting past it, to getting to a place of truth, to finding peace with God? The struggle is necessary for many. Not being one to shy away from the tough stuff, I think a helpful place to examine this issue is Job's story. It's pretty rare to find someone who likes the story of Job, but I think it is a perfect fit because it perfectly illustrates our dilemma in understanding God. So let's dive in. Job 1, verses 1 to 3. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Job was what we would call a successful man by both the world's and God's standards. He was a prosperous businessman, a loving father to his family, did what God said. He played by the rules, although being human, of course, sin was also a factor. Job tried to do the right thing. This is what makes it hard for us to understand why trouble pops up. And pop up it does, in spades. Satan shows up on God's doorstep and they begin a conversation, one where God mentions his model servant Job, verses 9 to 11. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan insinuates Job's motivation to obey God is lust and greed for material wealth. He thinks Job just does it because God gives him stuff. But God knows Job's heart and knows it isn't true. They continue, verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. And so the testing of Job begins. If you're typical, about now you are thinking, But that's not fair. Why should God let Satan pick on Job? That's mean. We have a hard time when bad things happen to good people. 
I often find a typical pattern with people. We ask the right question, but come up with the wrong answer. Why did God do this? Is a good question. God is mean and unfair. Is a wrong answer. I'm not going to pretend to have complete understanding on the why, but I am going to offer some perspectives on this. First, we need to pause and consider what God is doing in all our lives. God has a purpose for our life, and for the most part, it is different from our own goals and ideas. Everyone loves the familiar promise in Jeremiah 29:11 NIV. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. We hear prosper and think I'll be rich and successful. We hear not to harm you and think I'll never again have a problem or struggle in the world. But that's not what God says or means. Who is God talking to when he said this? his children, the Israelites. And where were they? In captivity to the Babylonians. And who sent them to slavery? God. We tend to see what we want to see and ignore the challenging parts. God allowed his children to suffer a very painful chapter because of their rebellious and disobedient choices. He is offering this passage of hope and promise to reassure them that his plans are still good and he has not forgotten them. I'm sure they thought the opposite, that they were being banished to that God-forsaken country forever. God allowed the slavery because he was trying to correct the wrong direction of their life. What's more, he had made it clear for thousands of years that this is exactly what would happen if they didn't follow him. But they ignored that part. You see, God is always working on an eternal scale. We're working on a daily scale. God sees the biggest picture. We see just a tiny speck of reality. So here's the first pillar to lean on. God has a plan, a good one for our life, but it's probably different from our own plans. There's nothing wrong with asking why did this happen in Job's life, but we can't find the true answer without seeing the situation with God's eyes. Sometimes we can get there. Sometimes we can't. The reason for that is that we do not have the same mind as God. Romans 11, 33-34 says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? So there's our second pillar to lean on. We do not have the capacity to understand everything about God and why he works the way he does. That does not mean, however, we can't glean a great deal of wisdom and insight. We can, and we do, when we travel with God following his word. So if God's plan is not to put us in a protective bubble and surround us with every material thing the world has to offer, then what is his plan? God's endgame with all of us is to transform us into his likeness, 
to redeem and transform the things that are working against his holiness and equip us for our eternal relationship with him. A relationship that includes today, not just the future. And I'll tell you, that transformation process is tough. The further we go with God, the harder it gets because those latter things he strips from us are most dearly guarded and protected by us. We don't give it up easily. We tend to fight God all the way in this process. Well, at least I do. Growth, redemption, and change don't come from living in a protective bubble surrounded by toys. They come from hard and painful disruptions in our life. They come from adversity. God will use whatever it takes to draw you to him and save your life. Don't forget, though, the easy option always exists. It's called read and follow the word of God. He puts it out there for us plain and simple. But most of us ignore what God says, justify our prideful choices and abandon God's way. Most of us don't begin to respond to God until he gives us a reason. And unfortunately, that is usually a painful reason. It's not our comfort that drives us to God. It is our need. Here's our third pillar. God works in every person's life to bring redemption, growth, and change, a process that is difficult and often involves adversity. So if God allows Satan to bring a struggle, it's for a good reason, a good reason for you. His purposes are always good, but without some understanding of God's plans and his character, we too easily hit a wall with God rather than let him change us. With all that in mind, my opinion on why God allowed Job to go through this ordeal was to squeeze out the pride hiding in his heart and to deepen Job's faith even more. And an ordeal it was. Except for his wife, he lost everything. His kids and his vast holdings. Everything was gone, even his health. At first, his faith held. Job 1, 20-22. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Job's faith is an inspiration to me. He is honest in his pain and accepting of his loss. But then a long ordeal ensued with four supposed friends who thought they were helping Job by accusing him of living a sinful life. Because why else would God do this? They were absolutely off course in their accusations. Job is not a bad man and God is not punishing him. Then after many days of verbal wrangling, Job had had enough. So he took a stand and defended himself. Here are excerpts from Job 29. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the poor and I searched out the case that I did not know. Men listened to me and waited and kept silence for my counsel. After my words, 
They did not speak again, and my speech settled on them as dew. They waited for me as for the rain, and they opened their mouth wide as for the spring rain. I chose the way for them and sat as chief, so I dwelt as a king in the army, as one who comforts mourners. With this, Job's pride comes to light. The truth, hidden even from himself, was that Job believed he had earned the great blessings in his life, that they were owed him by God because of his righteousness. He had an attitude of entitlement. This was pride. The blessings we receive from God are always unmerited. Gifts resulting from his grace, God never owes us anything. It's far from over, however. This next passage reveals even greater depths of pride in Job. Chapter 27, verses 2 to 6, NIV. As surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the Almighty who has made my life bitter, as long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not say anything wicked, and my tongue will not utter lies. I will never admit you're in the right. Till I die, I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my innocence and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. And there it is, in black and white. Job has lost respect and reverence for God. He accuses God of denying him justice and declares himself innocent. It's as if he's shouting, I have not sinned. I am without blame. Job's lost humility. He's lost sight of his dependence upon God for mercy. When this happens, we are then choosing to stand in the place of God and demand he answer us. Job got his wish, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't how he thought it would go. Nevertheless, God did answer him. In four chapters, God lays it out. I wish I had time to read it all, but you can do that on your own in Job 38 to 41. Here are a few excerpts. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Who shut up the sea behind doors? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Let him who accuses God answer him. Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. Did God expect Job to understand everything? No, he never comes close to suggesting that. But he did expect Job to trust him, that he was doing the good and right thing. So how does the story turn out? Who won, Satan or God? Was there a victory? Well, here are excerpts from Job 42, NIV. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The storm is finally over. Job responded to God's wisdom 
and authority. And verse 12 tells us the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. God prevailed. Satan was never in charge. He just thought he was. Here's our final pillar. If we will submit to God's purpose and plan for our life, he will accomplish a good and necessary work. An essential part of our success with God is accepting the truth that we will not always understand why he does what he does. Don't project human limitation onto God. He is not human. He is God. There's a difference. Judging God will cause us to hit a wall every time. Faith will allow us to go beyond the wall and trust his character when we can't understand his process. God not only has the full capacity to know every detail of your life, but he also has the power and desire to help you with every detail of your life. In the midst of the most difficult circumstances, and if you've heard my story, you know I've lived through very difficult circumstances, God is still sovereign, powerful, and wise. And at the same time, he's loving and intimately involved in our life. The more we learn and study the character of God, the more the gaps will fill in between our perspective and God's perspective. Yield your life to the master and ruler of the universe. He is the same one who deeply loves you. All scriptures from the New King James Version, unless otherwise stated. Thank you for listening to Cindy Sherwood's podcast. Visit us on the web at hishealinglight.org to learn more about our ministry. Please consider rating us on iTunes or your other favorite music app. God's best to you today.